gotta hold it. Okay. So we're back here again, just starting these up. Um, so, what did you like about the movie, first of all? Why did you say that it was revolutionary, and what is it that you like so much about it? Well, I think it was revolutionary because I don't think, because first of all, like, the only movie that I could think of where a black superhero was the lead and was important was Blade, and that was back in 1998, but that was mostly with an all-white cast, and this is 2018, and Black Panther being in a fictional town of Africa called Wakanda, and with a whole black cast. It's never been done for a superhero movie. That's why I think it's so revolutionary. Right. So you think Blade was the first black superhero, right? Movie-wise. To me, yeah. Movie-wise. And Blade was very well received. I, I loved Blade. Like, I don't think anybody around our age could say they disliked Blade. I, I even, it, that's why it led to a second one, because I mean, when you think about $70 million at that time, with Wesley Snipes being a lead, who I, I really like Wesley Snipes, that whole the whole groups of people got to see that, and they're like, oh, wow, okay, we're going to give this a sequel, so audiences seem to really dig it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we got Blade out there since the 90s, and then it takes all the way up until now to get the focal on Black Panther. Mm-hmm. But we can't forget Hancock. Oh, okay. You know, I think that was, and that was an original movie idea. And I think what worked with that is Will Smith is just so likable to everybody. And he's just so well-known there because he's such a superstar. That was going to make money regardless. But then you look at Hancock, mm-hmm. and then the whole premise behind Hancock mm-hmm. is that it's this guy who is an immortal being mm-hmm. who's just always on the planet mm-hmm. for all these times. He's going from this galaxy, this galaxy, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be on how he gets his point on Earth. But with, with Hancock, he was a drunk. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? He's, he doesn't care about society. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care for us until somebody makes him care for PR reasons. Yeah. To get him out of jail. Right. You know, so stereotypical with the fact that you can even see somebody as so strong and abrupt and doing heroic things that mm-hmm. he doesn't have any regard for it. You know, I think it was what, what switching over to Black Panther now was that I think what this film did that was also revolutionary. It was the first superhero film that also tackled real life issues that a mass audience that gets to see this finally gets to realize, oh, these are real issues that we can finally address in big budget movies too, because Hancock missed that opportunity maybe. Right, right, that's very true. So I, I see the revolution there. But the box office, we got to talk about the mm-hmm. box office. Yep. We got to talk about what it did at the box office. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing all these different numbers, 200 million mm-hmm. here, 297 million here. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you exactly what the numbers is, but it's the fifth best opening in the United States. Ever. Ever. Like, and yeah, when I met earlier when I said, like, things that people weren't going to see. This was so promoted heavily because it was such a big budget movie. Like this, what Wonder Woman did to get women to go see superhero movies, a superhero movie, this is what it did for people that are diverse. This right. was just a movie that it's people needed. It, it just yeah. came out at the right time. And I'm seeing everywhere the response to it and mm-hmm. just the 
the way it was received to uh-huh. the audience. You know, I've seen somebody even online say, oh, I'm an Asian American, and one day I would love to see this movie happen for us, but until then, I'm going to support this right here uh-huh. because this is the closest thing to home for me. Uh-huh. And it's amazing to see when you have all these families come out with African garb and textiles on. I've noticed that a couple of times. Like, I don't even know. I, I can't even sit there and ask myself, like, are they African? Are they African American? Uh-huh. I don't even care to know. I just want to know, like, what's 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 the world looking at right now after today? You know what I'm saying? After this moment has passed, like, how are we going to digest this movie for what it is? Because you know, we can talk about the movie now. The movie's out. If you haven't yeah. seen the movie yet, you're obviously living under a rock somewhere. You're missing out because this has. I'm this. I am such a film lover. Honestly, like. This is, like, to me, the standout for comic book movies or just the film in general is The Dark Knight. This was film was just as good, or if not better. And so we have these standout roles. We have Chadwick Boseman playing Black Panther T'Challa. Great job. standout Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan is, other than Loki, is the best villain I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. And I'll say this, he's the most relatable Marvel villain because of what his issues were. Right. And so we have this going on right mm-hmm. now where we have these two stellar actors mm-hmm. who for some time now they've been around in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And Chadwick Boseman, he's had his front running roles. You know, he's played James Brown. He's played Thurgood Marshall. He's played these roles where mm-hmm. he's played pivotal characters mm-hmm. in society. However, we've never seen him be that it guy yet. Mm-hmm. And now we got him being the it guy, and then we have surprising roles of scene stillers coming out of Letitia Wright. If you don't know Letitia Wright, you will know Letitia Wright by the end of this movie. She is my new Hollywood crush, first of all. Other than her being really pretty, she is super funny in the movie. MC baby underbite. <laughs> and the thing that I like that they did with her character, too, is that... She was. She's the smartest one in the room. She is so technologically advanced over everybody, and she she's just so lovable in the movie. The way her banter is with her brother, I just I just loved everything about her in the movie. She was great. Okay, and so besides Latisha, you got heavyweight hitters like Angela Bassett. Classic. You can't get anybody in Angela Bassett as the queen of Wakanda. And I just want to say that she really, like, other than her having gray dreadlocks, I mean, she looks exactly the same as she did in Malcolm X in 1992. She looks the same. It, I was hysterical laughing. Still pretty as she was 25 years ago. Deny Guerrero. Scene stealer. She... She was so intense in the movie that you believe that she could whoop anyone's ass. She is a beast. Without any hesitation, too. Like, you come near my king, it's over for you. Yeah, it's, 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 it's over. And if, and if you try and destroy or threaten our country, guess what? She's not even going to blink. You're done. We have another Hollywood heavyweight with Peter Nyong'o. And, you know, I just want to know, how did they even get this cast? Like, how do you go to all these people and you say, look... You're supporting, you're supporting, you're supporting. We're focusing here, but it doesn't feel like anybody is just supporting. I will say this. I think two things. I think one, Ryan Coogler had a lot to help with it because he, first of all, to me, is if, like, 
how Steven Spielberg left the impact on Hollywood when he created Jaws, then he did Close Encounters, then he does the creation of Lost, like Ryan Coogler is following that pattern. He starts off with the powerful Fruit of Ollie Station, which, if you haven't seen that, that is one of the most important films of this decade, or if not ever. Then he does Creed, which is the best spin-off for a Rocky movie and touched so many it people. It gave Rocky life. Mm-hmm, it did. It gave a genre where I just thought, alright, everybody's coming to Philly to look at these steps mm-hmm. and be next to these statues. No, they're coming here to feel this new essence of what's mm-hmm. added to this legendary collection of movies. I felt like it was kind of like the passing of the torch kind of thing, like, someone goes, okay, I'm, I'm done with this role. Michael B. Jordan, you got it from here. And I think... How Ryan Coogler just amazes that it was just as great as Rocky 1. People are like, okay, this is the director to watch out for. So I think he's one of the reasons why they got the cast. And the second thing is I think they've realized how much of an impact this would have on people going to see it. All right. So then this is his third movie now, mm-hmm. right? Third movie. How do you get into Hollywood, right? Right. At 31 now. 31 years old. Fruitville Station is your first movie, your second movie is Creed, now your third movie is possibly the biggest budget that Marvel has ever spent on a movie. About 200 million if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's like you gotta have something about you that's just like, alright, we're mm-hmm. gonna give you this opportunity, and when you have this opportunity, we know you're gonna knock it out of the park. It's not, a, it's not an if with it, because to give a young mm-hmm. black man like yourself a budget that big, it's not an if, it's mm-hmm. a definite. And I think with that happening, I think it's starting to uh, create a new trend. Like Ava DuVernay, she knocked it out of the park with Selma, which blew my mind. Now she's directing a big budget movie, like $150 million for Disney, called The Wrinkle in Time, which is coming out in two weeks. So I think this is creating a trend where I think people not only of color, I think more female directors are going to come forward now, and it's this is the right trend to go along with. I think it's finally... So, so what, is, what, is, what is Hollywood at right now? Because I feel like where Hollywood's at right now is like, oh man, we're going to just start putting everything in black. Like, everything's got to be black now. We're not even going to take the time to like care if it's good or if it's not good. We're just going to... Like, well, how, do, how does Hollywood make sure that they don't go out of their way to just take something that just was by marvelous mm-hmm. conception, however, it wasn't meant for what it did, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, you know, they didn't mean to do this, of course they meant to prove a point, of course mm-hmm. they meant to make a good movie, of course they meant to do all these things that are, to what we said, not going through the motions, but definitely checking the list off, mm-hmm. but no, what they ended up doing was they changed the whole narrative on how African Americans and Americans that are from Africa mm-hmm. or currently here, or even not currently here, just Africans in general are looking at each other. It's also changing the dialogue on how, what it takes to make a powerful movie in America. Uh, I think that's what I'm worried about too, because I think that people, that uh, Hollywood in general, I think they were shocked at a movie like, and I praise this movie like Get Out, how that was, in my opinion, probably the best movie of 2017. And it made a lot of money, so they're like, oh, wow, we got a movie that people of diversity are going to want to go see, but I'm afraid that they're going to try and keep copying like that. I think if Hollywood could keep up with original ideas like Get Out or Black Panther, where it's so well done, I think this will succeed. But if they try to play off that and recreate ideas, 
I don't want it to implode. Then, even though, because look at this, because correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. the minute that I first saw the Get Out trailer, I mm -hmm. remember, I can remember specifically, it was just something that nobody even knew what it was. Mm -hmm. It was just this Twitter video going around in mm -hmm. the trailer. But, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do remember that I already knew Black Panther was coming out. So, mm -hmm. there's those are the two movies that are already in works with each other. So, mm -hmm. all, it's just about when they can roll out on the time and then when they can actually press that button mm -hmm. and say, all right, this is done, let's put it in theaters. But they're already in conjunction with each other. You know how, mm -hmm. they, they know how it would, like mm -hmm. everybody else. They know each other, so they know what's coming out. They know what's circulating. Mm -hmm. They know what movie's about to mm -hmm. be the next next movie out regardless if it's going to be a hit or not right because they're all out here lobbying for these roles you mm -hmm. know what i mean they're all actors at the end of the day actresses directors um crew they're all lobbying for these roles so now that we have these movies mm -hmm. here what's next like what is what is what is next for hollywood what is hollywood doing to keep this conversation going where they're actually showing that they give a fuck well i think that if they keep up with the trends of being revolutionary because you could go back to the 90s when John Sing Singleton came out with the idea to come out with a movie called Boys in the Hood tackling issues that no movie in Hollywood at that time was even talking about wasn't even an issue and that I, I, I'm not sure if that came out before or after the LA riots I'm not sure but if they have to tackle movies with real issues today because I think that's what audiences are more aware now and they're not ignoring as much as they were maybe back in 1991 because yeah. we live in a world now like where, where something happens in communities God forbid or some horrible incidents people know what's going on now we gotta have social media now like you said like how you said Grand Out was spread all over Twitter I think when movies tackle real life issues people are gonna go out and see that more so, you bring up the fact that the movie like John Singleton, Boys in mm -hmm. the is by far probably one of my top five movies ever. I love made. that movie. So, when I look at Boys in the Hood, I look at the character of Ice Cube. Mm -hmm. Ice Cube is possibly, if, if you've got anything to say about Ice Cube, you can't never say anything about Doughboy. You can say anything about Ice Cube, are we there yet? You can say, but you can't say anything about Ice Cube in his heyday when he was making impactful rules. Mm -hmm. Ice Cube by far is probably a blockbuster. Hands down, mm -hmm. anything he does, they know probably about his. So when you got a character like Doughboy who is incarcerated, comes out of incarceration, and mm -hmm. he's still subject to street life, but he has his mannerism about him where it's like, alright, I have a moral compass. I'm mm -hmm. going to do as much right as I can do, or as much right mm -hmm. as I feel like is deemed necessary. Now you have, in today's society, mm -hmm. a lot of people looking at Eric Killmonger in the same regard. And mm -hmm. when I say that, it's because, no, Ice Cube def definitely wasn't a villain. Mm -hmm. He wasn't. He definitely did wrong, though, in the way that you're like, all right, well, we understand why he gets arrested at the end of this movie. We understand why he does wrong. It's, it's kind of like similar, like the show, like, I don't know if you ever watched The Wire by any chance? Right. Okay. That show made me understand, so like, understand why people turn to crime, why when there's no opportunities or what it's just like being like that in the poor America. It's that character, though, boy, is it, it, what I love what they did with Sam Flynn and Michael B. Jordan. They're, they're people, and I, I think you could just, if you could find it in your heart to relate to people 
and understand where they're coming from, it has more of an impact on you. And I think people are more open-minded now when it comes to understanding relatability. So it might be Jerry's character. I'm mm -hmm. looking at him and I'm like, all right, you're not a villain. You're, mm -hmm. you're really not a villain. At the root of this all, you're a very selfish individual. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that I can pinpoint to you that makes me feel like you are a villain. And mm -hmm. it's, it's best way that I can think of it is the way that he put it. He's an antagonist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's not the protagonist. He's the antagonist. Mm -hmm. He's still a focal point mm -hmm. and he's definitely, if you look at it through his lens, mm -hmm. this universe could be a whole different type of universe mm -hmm. if it was put into his possession, if it was in his power. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking like, the thing that he wants the most is identity. Mm -hmm. he, he's yearning for it. He's yearned for it since he could remember, since he held his dad in his arms, dying with the claw marks in his chest. He wants identity because he, for so many years, he's been told that this is possible, that he's this, he's royalty. Mm -hmm. And he has to walk around the streets of Oakland, California, yep. feeling like, wow, I'm royalty, and this is what I'm subjected to. One of my favorite lines in the movie is when they show Sterling Clay Brown, who plays his father, does a great job in the movie, by the way. He's only in it for five minutes, but he has the most impactful five minutes. There's a line where he says, <coughs> they, they uh, talking about what happens in America, they, they flood our cities with drugs and guns, and they were overly incarcerated. And when he brings out the, you're like, he is so right. You understand where this where the anger's coming from and why Michael B. Jordan once has to be an antagonist because he's so filled with anger and seeing his father dead, clearly, I mean, how could that not set anybody off? So we see him, and yeah, that's a great point right uh -huh. there. The fact that you see your father die, you have this mindset where you're being raised by somebody who's so pro-black, and then you don't even understand uh -huh. to the degree that he's hiding a, a layer of himself from uh -huh. the pro-blackness. Uh -huh. Like he's, he's going to all these meetings, and he's uh -huh. meeting with all these leaders, and he's thinking to himself like, wow, like. They don't even know what I know. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what I'm capable of. They don't even know the fact that everything that they're dealing with, I could truly and more importantly be the savior for them. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even that person back home. My brother is. Mm -hmm. My brother does this for our nation. Mm -hmm. He protects us. Mm -hmm. Why can't I be that person here? So then you understand at the root of it, mm -hmm. there, is, there is a sense of jealousy that's built there. There is a oh, sense yeah. of... Um, I, I I know better. Uh -huh. You don't. And what you have, I should have. Uh -huh. And it's rooted in him from childhood. And so uh -huh. when he gets to that age where he's like, okay, I'm fully about taking back my identity. That's I'm right. going to figure out my identity and I'm going to take it back. And he does it all uh -huh. throughout his, his army years. Uh -huh. He does it all throughout his his years of just getting to the point of I'm going to be a top-notch warrior because you notice and I've picked up on it and I really had to do my research on what the scars are on his body the mm -hmm. crocodile scars mm -hmm. you look up what the crocodile scars method is it's how you become a man in New Guinea mm -hmm. in New Guinea Africa they have this process where they will bring you to the coming of age and they do this up until I think they start at 18 and you can be all the way up to like 40 uh -huh. And you 
all walk through this point of life where it's a coming of age where you decide to become a real man, not just what they deem as a male. No, you're a man now uh -huh. doing this process. And it's brutal. Uh -huh. It's a brutal process. And he's not only doing this to himself, uh -huh. he's not getting any other body to do this. He's doing this to himself to the point where it's like, wow. You really don't understand who you are, and you're yearning so bad to know it that you'll harm yourself, you'll harm others for a sense of identity. And the sad thing is, it's just like the minute he was born here in America, he has identity taken away from him just by him being born. But an unfair opportunity, especially being a kid in Oakland, <coughs> he already has that taken away from him. And no one in anywhere of the world should have to be born into that kind of subjugation. You should immediately have mm -hmm. same rights as everyone else does. And it's, he just, and like, I, and when he, I, I just love when he was describing how he, like the crocodile skin starts out, how this is what I had to do to become a man. And you just totally, you, you just get where he's coming from. You, you may think he's doing it the wrong way. But you understand, and that's one of the great things about antagonists is that when you understand why they're doing their mission, it it makes makes the movie so much more enjoyable. Anyone could relate to that character that's had to go through a struggle like that that he's going through, and they're like, "I get where he's coming from." Yeah, I mean, you gotta get where he's coming from. Mm -hmm. He's getting to the point where he's like, I'll even work with my enemy. Mm -hmm. Because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm -hmm. I'll work with the main person who's been poaching from this country that I've been trying to get to mm -hmm. for, for centuries. Oh. I mean, not centuries, decades. Because, you know what I'm saying? Ulysses Claw is Black Panther's father's villain. Oh, you yeah. I mean, he's mm -hmm. been around since that long. Mm -hmm. He's the reason why his father is no longer alive. Uh -huh. for better for you know what I'm saying? Even uh -huh. though he's not the direct direct um, killer, he's uh -huh. the, he's a he put the head off. Uh -huh. So it's just like when you look at it and you're like, alright, well regardless of however you view Michael B. Jordan, uh -huh. you have to realize that this is somebody who's determined. Uh -huh to do something for an oppressed people. Mm -hmm. And it may be selfish in his reasoning from the minute part, mm -hmm. but he is more than sure that he's going to help somebody mm -hmm. other than himself. Mm -hmm. Even if he's helping himself at the same time. Yep. And the more important part about it is at the end when he says... He says it got more parts than other people. So hold on one <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. I know your Girl Scout cookie picnic. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. And so, when you're at the root of it, and you're, I'm sorry, I'm not sure But when you're, when you look at the end of this movie, and then he has it more and more than just, mm -hmm. I don't even know, I think this line itself was like Oscar worthy. And he I thought so. And he says, Bury me in the oceans with my ancestors who jumped the ships because they knew death was better than bondage. I was getting ready to make a point like that. That was probably my favorite line in the whole movie. I don't so. know. I think that probably might be my favorite line out of the last seven movies I've watched. <laughs> I don't blame you. Like, how can you move me in so many emotions mm -hmm. that I don't even understand? 
understand. Like, I don't know whether to cry, whether to punch the person sitting next to me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I don't understand. Like, I don't know if you guys know anything. By the way, I'm black, Dave's white, so we're doing this from a whole different standpoint. You guys might not even understand where we're coming from with these thoughts, but we're coming from a mindset of where we've been watching, and we went to the same high school together, so we know what it's like to live uh-huh. on the other side. You know what I'm saying? We're bringing this gap together. We're going to bridge this gap together with you guys across the series. Absolutely. So we're looking at Michael B. Jordan's character now, and he's at the point where he's just like, I've been king for the day. I, I, I've, lived, I've lived up to these expectations that I've always wanted. I can't go back, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I can't go back. I tried so hard to do what I came here to do, and I failed. I'm not going anywhere else but that. I'm, I'm not. I refuse. And the deeper point about that is that we have so many young people that choose to fail. They, uh-huh. they, they, they'll rather fail than to try. They'll rather, they'll rather truly just say forget it than to try. And then we're not saying that he didn't try because at the end of the day, he, he definitely did try to overthrow the king. He definitely did try to send out aid for the oppressed people. Uh-huh. And even though it didn't go through, there's a character there that can be forgiven. T'Challa's at that point uh-huh. where we see T'Challa, T'Challa again, same way they have in the Civil War forgiving his demons, you uh-huh. know, forgiving those who have set against him, who trespassed against him. This is like the best part that I love about T'Challa is that he can literally get you to the point of about to kill you and he forgives you. And he's like, I can save you. I have the medicine. I have the technology. I can uh-huh. save you. And then Michael B. Jordan's like, save me. Uh-huh. I'm already saved. Like, this is uh-huh. me. You're not changing me. Uh-huh. And the part where I actually took the most pity on Michael Jordan, I gotta try not to cry because the part actually got me choked up is when he goes, my father always told me after he got stabbed, he goes, my father always told me that the Wakandan sunset was the most beautiful thing he ever seen. He goes, ain't that a stupid dream a kid from Oakland, that kid from Oakland has? It broke my heart because I'm just like, I'm like, wow, I'm like, it, 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 it just, I, I, I can't imagine what what that's like i mean just to have a dream just to see a sunset where you can feel free you don't feel oppressed like i it broke my heart that really got me that scene it's it's powerful mm-hmm. it's powerful to the point where it's like all right we're looking at this character and we're mm-hmm. like this isn't a character anymore i might know this person mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying this person might really actually exist this might be that one person i went to school with that mm-hmm. literally didn't care for anybody else mm-hmm. but himself and you don't know why until you get to the root of his home life until you get to the root of who he is mm-hmm. until you get to the root of where does he come from does he even know where he comes from mm-hmm. or maybe he knows more than what he should know mm-hmm. Which is again his character. You know what I'm saying? He knows that he's a part of this society, he's a part of this culture, he's a part of this race that the uh-huh. world doesn't even know about. So even if, you know what I mean? Even if he yeah. wanted to mention that he couldn't, like, he's living in a world where there's superheroes every day, uh-huh. he still can't even talk about the people that he knows exist. Uh-huh. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine right now if we've lived in a world today where. Superman existed before a society that never was conquered. Like Superman was around here flying around. <laughs> I think I there's, a, there's an indigenous amount of people uh-huh. 
who have better technology than this iPhone, uh -huh. than this laptops, uh -huh. MacBooks, you know what I'm saying? Things like that. Like he's living in this world right now where it's like the impossible is happening. Mm -hmm. He knows the real impossible. Mm -hmm. He still can't even tell the world about it. Right, right. and because it, even if he did and came out of that stuff, they won't believe him. Right. Which is so, so true. Which mm -hmm. is so true with a lot of the minorities today. Mm -hmm. They know that there is a, a different lifestyle, there's a different culture, there's a different way of looking at things. And it's just like, but if I told you that I'm capable of doing these things, would you believe me? Mm-hmm. Would you, would you put your faith in me? Would you right. believe that I can, I can do that? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I think that's so uh, revolutionary about this film, too, speaking of, like, minor minorities, like, poor communities, like, <coughs> these celebrities, like, I've heard Kendrick Lamar, Octavia Spencer, Ryan Coogler, they're buying out all these movie theaters that people, unlike myself, because I have the opportunity to go to the movies all the time, sometimes they don't have the opportunity to go see a movie at all. And they have a chance to go see someone. Well, you know what? That's larger than life. That's someone that makes me feel proud to be who I am. You got that. You got uh -huh. that depicted to you on the screen. And then you're seeing it play out. And you're right. Like, wow, this really looks like me. Uh -huh. Wow, this really is uh -huh. who I am to the core. This is, this is me. This is, a, 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 this is more than just me. This is my brother. This is my sister. Uh -huh. This is my mom. This is my aunt. This is who I deal with on a daily basis. And you're like, wow, where has this been? You know, I thought the movie did really well. Like, even though Wakanda is a fictional nation, I thought how they used African tribes in the movies. Mm -hmm. They really paid, like, it, it really just felt respectful and it had identity to it. Like, almost as if it was a real country in Africa. It was just, it had such beautiful identity to it. And it was, I dug that about the movie, and I think people are like, wow, we can embrace our, a culture like that on the screen, remind us of our own cultures in Africa. Wow, it's like we've never seen this before on the big screen for real, other than if they're going to take us to a bad point in history, it could show us now and how proud we can be and, and just feel strength instead of defeat. Right. Yeah, it's crazy because mm -hmm. you see all these different African tribes, and mm -hmm. you're like, wow. These are the tribes of Wakanda, but more importantly, you know that they're drawing this person. And then Martin Kugler even goes the extra mile. You know what I'm saying? I'm mm -hmm. saying he had to do that because he could have really just went super fictional with this mm -hmm. place and created everything, mm -hmm. but he doesn't. He takes everything from the root of where they are. They're in Africa. Mm -hmm. He's like, why not? And he does the language. He does everything from the... The, the tribes, colorings, he puts it so specifically to the point where it's like, you're not going to be able to tell if this is fiction or if this is fact. Because I like the fact that he incorporated the language, which is like, um, mm -hmm. I might have my click wrong with it, but it's like, don't say. And it's like amazing because they're speaking a dialect yeah. in the movie that's real. Yeah. That you cannot just say, oh, they created this, like, for this, for the sake of the movie. Then he's, 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 he's bringing apart all these different parts of history that are so true. Like Wakanda, for example. Wakanda is modern-day Ethiopia. Ethiopia uh -huh. was never conquered. Ethiopia was never colonized. Uh -huh. Then you have the, um, um, what is the, uh, the, um, what's the guard? What's Black Panther's guard's name? Oh, uh, um, 
Wakabi, Wakabi. No, Wakabi, right? Yeah, Wakabi. Daniel Kalula. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have Daniel's character, who is his right hand man. But importantly, he's not even by his side Mm -hmm. all the time. Who's by his side? Okoye. Mm -hmm. And then he has his own regiment of female warriors. Now, Mm -hmm. there's a female warrior tribe from back in the day, Mm -hmm. like way back in the day that was at one point called the Amazons um, I'm forgetting the name right now oh the, the Doragaji or something yeah. like that Doragaji I think right. that's how you say it and we're talking about Doragaji because they are shaped after in the movie the Dora Milaje mm-hmm. so the Dora Milaje is nothing but a piece of history as well so you're taking all these elements of history and you're combining them into a fictional movie and mm-hmm. you're showing people like okay yeah this is fictional however this is what we're dealing with as well. This is what history has not told you. Uh-huh. History doesn't tell you that these women walked around Africa as the most feared people. Not just women. Feared people uh-huh. as warriors. We're not going to tell you that Ethiopia, even though this is something that you should know, common knowledge-wise. Uh-huh. I never learned that in high school. I never learned that in middle school. That's I never same. learned that in college. Even though college is mostly about life when you really want to learn something. Uh-huh. I never learned these things in high school that Ethiopia was never conquered. This history isn't taught until... Well, like, it's the negative sides of history. It's brought up briefly, maybe, if we, when we're celebrating Black History Month in school, briefly, but we don't really get into the depth of things like we should be in high schools. Like, I'll give you, like, this is the most minor example. It's probably stupid, but I always talk about Thanksgiving all the time. Everyone talks about, oh, you know, how the pilgrims and the Indians broke bread, ate dinner, lovely thing. They don't talk about the day after Thanksgiving. <laughs> pilgrims killed the Indians off. Why weren't we taught that in high school? Or in middle school? We... And this is what we're dealing with as a society. We're mm-hmm. dealing with a society that is teaching us um, through education, mm-hmm. which is so sad. But they're teaching us through education somebody else's side of the story. They're teaching one side of the story. They're not teaching all sides of the story. And you can't be truly educated if you don't know everything. If you don't know everything, mm-hmm. you can't say that I have my education, or you can't say that I'm fully educated when you only know one side of the story. That's like a judge sitting in the courtroom and saying, okay, I've heard one side of the story, yeah. I'm ready to make my judgment. I'll tell you what I feel what we should do in America, because people don't know this about what they do in Germany now. It's a mandatory law, and they hardcore teach this. I was watching them like more documentaries called Where Do I Invade Next? If you go into any high school classroom in Germany, when they're covering history, they don't block out what happened during Nazi rule or with the Holocaust. They have to teach that this and all the horrors that they did. We should have the same thing of what we've done wrong in America as a country and talk about what we've done wrong. So I think that should be a learning step to go from, from that because if Germany could talk about possibly the worst, one of the, if not the worst horror in human history, why can't we talk about what America's done wrong? It's its whole existence in 1776, even before. There's, there's this propaganda with America. Mm-hmm. There's an American dream. And not only is there an American dream, but there's a, a film of golden standard around the country mm-hmm. where we're looking at it like it can't do any wrong. But every other country in the world looks at you. I can point out several things yeah. that has to do wrong. And then we're sitting here and we're producing all this art for the world to mm-hmm. obtain. And we're not even realizing the dialect that is being created mm-hmm. around it. It's like a whole different language now when you start getting into these movies like Black Panther and mm-hmm. Get Out. 
and it's creating real spark and real change. And people are looking at it and they're like, uh -huh. well, I didn't know these things. Uh -huh. you know what I'm saying? I didn't know this was how some people felt in America. I didn't know this is how some people looked at things. And then there's a whole other world. And like, well, how could you miss it? Right. It's like, because, like this, like, because I had this conversation with you probably a couple times. I said I was totally blind. I didn't know what was going on. And then until I got older, and you really start paying attention to what's going on, it's like, how did I, how did I not see that? I was right in front of my face the whole time. And it's... Because I'll tell you what I have the problem with patriotism in this country. Because patri people being patriotic in this country feel that, oh, you have to support your country no matter what. And your gov government... it. At all times, I feel the most patriotic thing you could do is when you could call out a flaw in America. Like I think, what I think Colin Kaepernick's going to go down in history books is a hero because of what he did. Not now, because if this is how I look at, it. if you look at Dr. King, what he was doing in the fifties and sixties, when they were talking about him at that time, he was a radical. He wasn't praised like he is today. What Colin Kaepernick did, I think that's the most patriotic thing he could do because he's not saying. I hate my country. He's saying, I'm calling out a flaw, and I want the world to acknowledge it. And I think we're getting more towards that stage now where we can start calling out our flaws and hopefully find solutions that create more problems. Well, I think it's deeper than that, too. Mm-hmm. Say, I go somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. And I go there, and they have a bellhop outside. Mm -hmm. And this bellhop is there to check my bag. Mm -hmm. He greets me in a way where it's just like, Oh, how you doing, sir? Mm -hmm. 7.30. No, you don't talk like that. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not who you are. Right. Why can't you go to work and be the person that you are? Yeah. It's... Like, because if I see someone, I usually... I talk like Rocky something. I go, yo, how you doing? Why do I have to go... Well, hello, how are you today? Like, there's, it's creating a false identity for yourself, and I think that's what's back to Michael B. Jordan's character. There was nothing false about him. He was who he was. And he was he was who he was to the mm -hmm. point where T'Challa didn't even want him to say his name because mm -hmm. he knew that meant he was about to fight for his life. Mm -hmm. He was about to fight for his title. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, one of the flaws that you see in T'Challa's mm -hmm. character where he's, like, not even going to give his own cousin a fair shot. Mm -hmm. He's not. He's ready to put this man in a dungeon somewhere, mm -hmm. lock him away, mm -hmm. and it takes somebody else from the river. It was the river, the river tribe's leader, mm -hmm. to say, "Well, who are you? Mm -hmm. I'm your. I'm. I could be your king. Mm -hmm. and you don't even know it. And it's this thing that we have to deal with in life. Where it's just like, if you come into my place of employment where I'm employed at, mm -hmm. I have to deal with you in a certain way that makes me feel uncomfortable. Right. And I have to make you feel like I'm not uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, why do I have to talk to you in a certain way that is unrealistic? Well, and I'll, I'll say this to you. definitely more so than me have to act a different way than I would have to act yeah, yeah, at a job. I got job. a cool switch. I got a cool right. switch. Like, like I, I could talk to probably somebody in any way I wanted to, like in a respectful way, but talk anyway. You would have to put on an act where why can't I just be myself, shouldn't just me being me be comfortable enough why do I have to go out of my way to make you feel comfortable when I'm made uncomfortable all the time yeah. is what I can't imagine how that must feel because I don't I really don't have to go through that well it sucks I, um, I'm sure 
It's very much uh -huh. for like a better word. Yeah. It is also to a point where it's just like, well, me being uncomfortable makes you uncomfortable. Uh -huh. This with society we're living in that you have to see the discomfort from somebody uh -huh. in order for you to feel uncomfortable. Right. And that's always been our society. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? Like even after we freed the slaves, slaves still weren't allowed to work. Slaves still couldn't walk home without X, Y, or Z happening to them. You know what I'm saying? There's, these are no longer slaves. These are freed people now. These are people that are walking around and they got to say, oh, Uncle Jimmy got lynched, but it's Thursday. I say this all the time when I talk about history. Okay, slaves got free in 1865. Okay, what happened? It takes a hundred years later just to have the same opportunities in the school, mixed school, and the vote. It took a hundred years after that. And th there's still flaws with that system. I won't be surprised if that takes another hundred years to fix that. It definitely wouldn't be in our generation. It definitely wouldn't be in our time. Um, any closing arguments that you want to say? Anything that you want to say to wrap up? I just want to say that... If you have not seen Black Panther, you need to go see it. And I want to mention this to people who are mainly on the conservative side and who um, don't want to hear about changes that's going on in this country. Go see this movie with an open mind and maybe you can feel liberated and understand where you have all the advantages and maybe it'll inspire you to do something to help out. Wrap up. I'm gonna say that in my theater, in the start of the theater, there was a man in the theater with a Make America Great hat. Mm -hmm. By the end of the movie, I saw that hat in the trash can. So, awesome. if he can throw his hat away, I'm pretty sure you can throw away whatever is holding you back from going to see such an amazing movie. But definitely go out and support this movie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Alright, we're the Cinema Kids. This is episode one, season one. Uh, we did this in Barnes and Nobles. We're broadcasting live off of Anchor right now. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, we can get this on SoundCloud as well. But if not, guys, definitely listen up, tune in, keep an eye out for us. And we're going to be coming at you guys all year round with just great talks about movies and how they're imitating what's going on around us. Absolutely. I couldn't have enjoyed this more. I'm looking forward to doing this more in the future, and hopefully, people have closed minds. Maybe we could open them up a little bit. All right. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So, let me try this.